I actually had a flight last month, right? I got two people with me. Oh, that's no. a first. That was a first. <laughs> never that was that. straight up a first. Like, <laughs> and it was like the weirdest thing too, because like younger guy, yeah, sits down, doesn't say a word, puts uh, his headphones on, just really passes out, not even thinking anything of it. I'm just sitting there, popping away on my laptop. Da, da, yeah. da, 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 da. I can kind of see him start to wake up a little bit, and you kind of look this way, and then look this way, and just. <laughs> I was like, what the f just happened? Did you seriously just vomit in my lap? Like. For freshly brewed discussion on automotive sales and marketing, this is Coffee with Jason. The Coffee with Jason podcast is sponsored by Closer's Coffee. For that full-bodied, rich, sweet flavor with a bright acidity. Drink Closer's Coffee, stay caffeinated, and keep on closing. Find out more at closerscoffee.ca. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here with Digital Dealership Solutions. Hey, thanks for joining me on another episode of Coffee with Jason. Today, I have a very special guest all the way from the great state of Wisconsin. All right. <laughs> my, my guest today is Jay. Jay, for everyone out there that's listening and watching, if you could give us that quick origin story that is Jay. That would be a great place for us to get started. Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me, Jason. I, I uh, am a big fan of your work and everything that you do, uh, not only for uh, yourself, but for the industry in general. I think it's a really, really cool thing. Uh, as far as my background and, and uh, what I, uh, I guess, what made me to what I am today is uh, I started off, uh, my dad owned an independent repair shop in a really small town in Wisconsin, actually still does. Uh, is in his 26th year of business. I'm not involved with the day-to-day. Oh, -day. Cool. Yeah, it, it is. Um, I'm not involved with the day-to-day, -day, but that's really how things started. He started mm -hmm. off with essentially a $2,000 loan from my grandma uh, to get started. <laughs> and uh, and he was working a lot of hours, right? Because you're just trying to pay the bill. So he would, uh, he'd work these 18-hour days working on cars, trying to answer the phone at the same time, didn't have a secretary, didn't have anything. Um, so what would happen is during the summers and after school, I would end up answering the phone for him. Uh, I would schedule basic maintenance for him. Uh, so if it was oil changes or, or tire rotations, whatever it was, I was <laughs> scheduling them. Uh, in that Back then we were scheduling LOFs, right? The lube oil filters. And yep. so I'd just put in LOF and know that it took this much time to do it. Uh, and so uh, that really kind of got my got me into the business to start with, right? And mm -hmm. I've always, I guess, I think that's what really ingrained that love for the car business into me. Um, and so as we kept going, uh, I, I always had the dream of I wanted to work in the shop, right? Like, so my dad kept growing, and uh, by the time I was probably 14 or 15, I was out uh, working in the shop and doing simple tire replacements and oil changes and the things that I was scheduling before I started doing. Um, and then, uh, you know, as I was doing that learning and going to uh, an apprenticeship program at the local community college uh, in high school. And, and so went off to tech school, came back uh, to work for him. And I did that for about a year and I was an absolute disaster. I was not, I was not, I was not good at it. Uh, uh, I was about 19 or 20 years old, an absolute uh, immature punk that uh, <laughs> thought maybe he knew everything. And, and, uh, and at the same time, 
in the back of my head always was like, ah, I, I'm just not very good at this, right? And I, I don't have a passion like some of these other guys do uh, to, to fix something. Uh, I think it has something to do with my my attention span, most likely. But <laughs> but uh, so it, essentially, the industry kind of kicked me out uh, after that. I I was looking for a job, and uh, I went up to the Madison, Wisconsin area and looked for anything. Right, like at that point, I'm like, what can I do? I went to school. I went to tech school to work on cars, and I'm not good at that. So what do I do? And luckily enough, I uh, was hired by a company called Diesel Injection Service, which is now Diesel Forward. Uh, to do customer service for them. And uh, in the ad, it basically said, you can talk to people about diesel parts and uh, on the phone. And I'm like, hey, I like to talk and I like I like, uh, I like cars. I just didn't <laughs> like working, right? So, um, so then I ended up uh, being pretty good at that. I think it, it, it took a while, but then as you start to gain confidence and start to, to really get, um, I don't know, a feel for what you're doing. Uh, I, confidence was the big thing, honestly. And once we got, once I got confidence in it, uh, parlayed that into uh, having uh, an opportunity across the road at a semi-trailer dealership. So uh, I went over there, started out as a sales coordinator, and then did some business development for a, a, a mobile storage uh, uh, business that they did. And it really, it, it was not a fit because compared to the my entire past prior, but it was really, really good in that I had a good mentor there mm-hmm. that really taught me the importance of reading and studying and really being good at your craft. So. Uh, was there for a couple of years, uh, was lucky enough to then get into Bobcat. Worked for Bobcat Company for about six years uh, and as a district service manager. So I was kind of a rep from the manufacturer to uh, about 40 dealerships, uh, wow. roughly. Um, and so that that was really cool because it, you got some really, really cool training opportunities that you might not have gotten otherwhere where they uh, they put a lot of training into you and, and really uh, you get to know Anything from diagnostic. Uh, yeah, that really giving you just a whole nother approach to the operations. Oh, the what operations. What was going on? And yeah, you really you start. It really starts to introduce you to the business side of of what we do, right? Mm-hmm. So from there, I got uh, recruited by one of my uh, the dealerships that I was a rep for to come and run their parts and service department. So I ran the aftermarket for a seven store. Uh, John Deere and Bobcat dealership. Uh, so I had all of those uh, kind of departments underneath me. So that kind of took my, I guess, knowledge level to the next the next step in terms of uh, operations, understanding financial statements, understanding um, work in process and trying to move money through a service department or move money through a parts department uh, at, at a pretty large scale. I mean, I, I think I was 30 years old when I took that job. And you walk in and you've got uh, all these older guys that have been there for a long time and they're like, who's this punk coming in here and, <laughs> and trying to tell us what to do? So uh, you have to earn respect. You have to um, learn really, really fast. And uh, and it was a great experience. But in the back of my mind, I always had kind of that entrepreneurial side where I, I knew I wanted to do something different. I'd actually bought the domain finderwrench.com back in think 2006 or so. Oh, so this is uh, something that's been on your mind for a while then. Yeah, yeah. And the, the funny part is um, the name Finder Wrench actually came from my dad uh, would complain when I was a kid that I can't find a damn wrench anywhere. And so I, uh, I that was that always stuck in my head uh, that it was hard to find text back then. 
And then it just never got easier. You know what? That's a really good point. You know, we've seen that all the time. I mean, I can't tell you how long I've been in this industry, and I've heard the exact same thing from the service department. It's just, I can't find a good tech. I can't find a good tech. But but it it hasn't changed. It's always been that case, right? Right. But then, like, what, what do you really define as a good tech? Right. You know, has anybody actually ever taken the time to do that, right? Yeah. And I think that it varies a lot, right? And, and it varies in what an operation wants. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's easy to say, hey, I need an A-level diagnostic tech that can solve any problem, uh, but I don't want to. But who doesn't that want that? Well, see, <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. And we still have that problem. And, and it truly is understanding what you need in that shop. And do you truly need an A-level tech or maybe you've got an A-level tech that you need to take some of the load off of that person or, you know, it, it, it really is um, trying to understand what it is that you need and how you're going to get them for the, like kind of a little long haul, right? Because it's, uh, it's not easy to find these guys. See, I, I love looking at this and I, I just, I go back to the analogy of baseball so much, right? Yeah, love baseball. It's like, it's like, cause it's, it's our team. You know, but you know, it's like we only have so many dollars to put that that team together, right? Yeah. You know, you're not going to be able to afford a level tech. It's a great like analogy. all of them. Like it's not. You're not. You're not going to yeah. be able to, right? Or do you want that? Because but, well, true. Yeah. Nor, yeah. nor do you want that either, right? You know, talk yeah. about. Yeah, I've actually seen a couple departments that made that mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you still need some guys to do the dirty work too, right? Like you need people that are are uh, willing to. Um, do some of the things that maybe an A-level tech isn't willing to do. Right? Yeah, so it's called the lineup. So how do so you know I I, I see this is where that the first part of breakdown or failure when creating out that team usually ends up happening, is that there's not really a true understanding of how they create the lineup. Yeah, you know it's just like they're, they're, they're either too top heavy or too bottom heavy, and there's just there doesn't ever really kind of seem a balance. You know what when when you when you run into a dealership like that, and obviously we want to help them as much as we can, you know, what advice would you normally give to a dealership that's, you know, looking or has an opportunity to kind of rebuild the team or to sort of identify, you know, wh- where they are in their lineup? Yeah. Well, it sounds really cliche because I think everybody says it now, but to to proactively recruit and pro and really have a strategy or plan in place so that you're not reactive in hiring. And I think I sure. see it so much. I'm sure you see it with a lot of the dealerships you work with. Is it's really easy to get stuck in your day to day and kind of in the mud, and and forget about a plan. Even if you, so, if you put a put together a plan, it's easy to forget about it. But then it truly is. That's where we see the really like the bad hires and the, the like the non fits uh, happen is because somebody hi- has to hire somebody just to get a body to get the work out the door. And they don't hire for culture at that point. They don't hire yeah. for uh, they they honestly don't hire for skill set a lot of times at that point. They're they're trying to just get somebody in the door that can do anything, and uh, and that's a big piece of what we try to work with our clients on <laughs> is truly trying to get uh, truly trying to get some level of proactive approach to recruiting and and even retainment. Right, you've mm-hmm. got to understand. The people in your in your in your dealership at that time are very very important to you, and I think you know we put too much we put too much weight on thinking that a tech is going to stay with you for their lifetime. Uh, I think the average 
um, career for or the average state. But we, but we also spend yeah. enough time even deciding what the tech like. We we don't we don't create a clear path no. for text to evolve. Oh no, I. I you know, I, like I, we we don't. I mean, I I see guys back here that are 15 years into it. Yeah, they're doing the same shit they're doing. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Yeah. When they started 15 years ago, which is like, not good for anybody. Which is not good for anybody. No, no, no. Surprisingly, they, they, they seem to be okay with it. But that that's that's it's very few selective individuals that can do that. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, we're not holding on to people because we're not also developing out who they are as people. Right. Right. No. I, yeah, and I I couldn't agree more. And even even taking the time is like if you do have a plan. Part of that plan should be to actually take an interest in them personally, right? And not mm -hmm. just treat them as a number back in the shop, but hey, what are your goals and aspirations moving forward? Because most of them probably do. And there might be a couple that are like, hey, you know what? I'm good right now. I, I just, I, I like doing what I'm doing and I just want to keep doing it. There are people sure. that do that, uh, but you at least need to know that as a manager, right? You need to, you need to understand where people, you know, what people want. Hundred um, percent. You know, and it's it's a hard thing to do because it, it it's hard to get out of people. Is it a hard thing to do, or is it we're just not willing to take the time to do it? Both. I think. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I think, yeah. So one example I've got of of sometimes it's just a hard thing to do is I've blatantly asked techs that have worked for me, "Hey, what are your goals and aspirations moving forward?" And they'll say, "Oh, you know, I I uh, you know I'm good with where I'm at. I'm, I'm you know I'm happy." And then. Like three months later, they'll leave, and and I'm like, what happened? You know, we've literally just talked, and and you said, hey, you know, this is uh, this is good. I'm I'm happy with where I'm at, and then they'll say, well, I didn't think there was any opportunity for growth here, and and you're like, oh my goodness, I I <laughs> literally wanted to work with you to get you to where you want to go, but th there's times where, and I've noticed this with text spe specifically, is mm -hmm. that they might even be shy to tell you that they have goals and aspirations outside of what they're doing right now. And, well, I agree with you. I've sat down yeah. with a lot and been the exact same thing. And that's why I always find it a little easier to focus on the personal development portion, you know, and what direction they want to go personally than necessarily, uh, than, than professionally, right? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's like, look, um, we all know what the tech does, Yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and we, we know why they do it. They're doing it to make money, but, but what for? Right. Do you, you know, I don't think we spend enough time to find out that. Look, is it is the tech, you know, because they're trying to provide, you know, for the college tuition? Yeah. Is it, you know, because they want to move out of mom and dad's house? Right. Is, is it because, you know, that they, they want to take that next step in their life? What is it? What is their financial goal and objective? Yeah. All right. And then does the financial goal and objective match what their professional goal and objective is? So I, I feel like if we start there first, what their financial goal and objectives are. Yeah. Then when we start talking to them about their professional goal and objective, we'll say, whoa, hold on a second. Um, <laughs> yeah. Then you want to be financially up here, but you're telling me that you're okay <laughs> with consistently staying right here all the time. Yeah. That don't quite match. <laughs> it doesn't match. And I, I think... The other piece to that is understanding how much money actually motivates them, right? Because it's easy on the sales side to say, you know, anybody that we add uh, from a sales perspective here at Finder Wrench, we want them to be motivated by money, right? Because that's, and it's the same in a dealership. If you have a salesperson that's not motivated by money, they're probably not going to be the greatest salesperson in the world, right? Yep. But as a technician, sometimes they, they put their blinders on and they, they want to make enough to cover everything they've got at home, but they they just want to work on this one thing that's in front of them and fix that. And and so 
I will say there's there's some level to where even if they say they're not motivated by money, they probably are motivated by money. Uh, oh, look, we all are. Look, we yeah, work have for to be. Like we yeah. work for it. There's now now maybe it's not necessarily the actual physical paper form of it, right. but it's what that money brings to that individual. That, you're, that's you nailed it. If it's to buy a fishing boat, like that's that's uh, sure. <laughs> that's their motivation. And, well, it could yeah. be because that represents freedom for them. I mean, yeah. I I don't have any beef with that. I got no beef with that at all. I got a technician yeah. comes to me and goes, Jay, I want to work. I want to work, and I'm gonna I want to put in this time because I want my fishing boat. Yeah. And to them, that's what represents this form of freedom, this 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 ability to decompress and relax, and that that then let's make that their financial goal. Yeah, absolutely. And but the, the fact you hit on something key right there, I think the fact that you even asked them in the first place is a big big deal, right? Mm-hmm. Like because it, it shows that you care enough to even know that, uh, and and even it gives you some commonality in terms of when you're walking the shop as a manager. And you you go out and you say, hey, how we doing? How we working towards that that boat? Or you know, you're, you're yeah. You I want a pic- I want a picture of that damn boat right above yeah. this box. <laughs> exactly. You know I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I like I we can take out we can take down the pinup girls. Um, <laughs> and let's let's put a picture of the boat right yeah. there, right? Yeah. And let everybody like see the other thing, cool thing is that what I love about golden objectives is that there's knowledge, there's power in knowledge, right? Oh, for sure. As a manager, and I think this is where I see I actually feel. That to a certain degree, not for all managers, but for some managers, that there's actually fear in wanting to know that information. Oh my goodness! Because once you know, not the, the the fact you know now holds a level of you accountable. Like yeah. you're actually accountable now for that knowledge. Yeah. Like you have a team member that's working for you, coming in, punching in the morning, punching in at the night, and you know what they're trying to achieve, and you're not assisting. Yeah. That's gonna wear. That's gonna physically and mentally wear wear someone down. So I, I can see why a lot of service managers don't necessarily go that direction. They don't want to take the time to know their team that well. It's well, easier to look. There's. I know this sounds bad. There's a simplicity in just looking at them as a number. Oh my goodness! Yes, yes. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I and I think that that kind of leads into something else, which I think is super super important. Is gaining the trust of those guys in the shop, right? Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. there's so, so much kind of distrust between the front office and the back shop in, you know, they're trying to screw me. They're, you know, and, and in some levels, I don't blame them with some of these flat rate systems like that. I've seen, yeah. And we recruit for every brand we recruit, you know, it, it doesn't matter. I'm not biased to anybody, but when you look at it and you look at the pay plan and, you can see that's causing distrust. And if you get maybe a service Huge. advisor or service manager, that's not, not, you know, that's working against them. Uh, and even if they're not, if the perception is that they're working against them and it could just be a difference in personalities, uh, there's that, that level of trust just isn't there. That's needed to kind of take that service department to the next level and take that individual to the next level. Well, let's talk about that. Let's go a little more into it because you kind of mentioned a little bit earlier too, right? Yeah. Is um, culture, right? Yeah. Nobody's ever taken the 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 time to actually identify what they would like their culture to be, right? Right? Like, look, guys, out there, the, their culture is not a, a mystical thing. Right? Yeah. It's not a unicorn, or you know, it's not the end of a rainbow. Trust me, it is a thing that already exists. Yeah. All right, you've just never t- necessarily taken the time. Uh, defining it, if, if there if there is distrust between the front and back, that's the culture. Oh my goodness! You as a service manager, you're the one that created that. 
I think I'm gonna get some comments about this. One. <laughs> I got, I'm gonna get a couple of people. I'm gonna get, but uh, you, towards you, the end of the day, I'm getting a little rounded up here. Eighth but, cup of coffee. <laughs> I, you're right on though, and and it, I would love to see the numbers. I don't have the numbers, but I'd love to see the numbers of a shop with a bad culture driven by a bad manager as compared to a good culture with a good manager and see what the difference in, in, in turnover is, employee yep. turnover. Because I think there would be a big disparity between the two. Well, there is. And, and I think what it is is for like, – look, I, look, I'm not going to – I'm not going to be super angry at service managers for this because I don't think we've ever actually trained them. No, I, I don't totally think agree. I don't think we've ever totally trained totally service agree. managers to understand what a culture is and how to create it, how to identify, how to identify it. You know, but it's just like I, w- I was in a meeting the other day with the service manager, and, and it was they were, they were having issues, right? Yeah. And it was a front and back issue. Very similar. Is that is that uncommon? Front and back no, issues. No. All right. And and it's just I literally it's just I finally after letting him vent for twenty minutes, I was just like, that's great. What the f- are you doing about it? Yeah. You know, he just like it was just like well, but, 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 no, 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 no. Look, Echo, yeah. you're the head of this team, all right. You're the freaking coach. Yeah. Okay. You're the one that's allowing this crap to happen. Okay. So you're gonna have to go out there and be the coach. Yeah. You know, it, too often I see service managers just just like it's it's like there's seats. There's like I think there's tape, like some <laughs> adhesive. <laughs> You know what I mean? You know what type of service manager I'm talking about? I right? do. Where there's like, there's like, it's like this big layer of like sticky shit underneath their ass, <laughs> and it's like they physically can't like, like get up can't out get of up. their seat to yeah. actually go. I don't know. Anyways, I digress. I stop. I apologize. Well, but um, no, no, no. I. You know what's funny is that you're you're so spot on, and in terms of the coaching, you know what we led this conversation off with is that that plan for their future, right? And kind of being able to progress them. So if you have somebody that's got a desire to be a manager at some point, and you know it, and say they're currently a technician, uh, what are you doing to help groom them up? Because they're gonna, that that's one way of gaining trust with somebody is, hey, I do have your best interest in mind. We're eventually going to need a service manager. Now you run into the, the point to where a service manager, if you get maybe an insecure service manager, it's like, hey, you're, you're, you're just trying to take my job rather than the service manager, you know, then it's almost a tiered approach to where, okay, service manager. Oh, service I've seen, manager. I've seen this happen. I've seen this happen. Yeah. Too. And no, look, them, that's yeah. actually my favorite thing. If I, if I sit down with someone and someone looked at me and this is like, let's say back when I was a general manager. Okay. Yeah. Someone goes, you know what, Mike, and they're a salesperson I'm interviewing They're you know, like, you know, my goal and objective is I, I, I want your job. <laughs> I'm like, this is great. Yeah. Let me yeah. tell you what it's going to take to dethrone me. You know, and, and just like literally a system in those efforts. I mean, I, I look, if I try to put myself out of a job, the yeah. product of those efforts and what I'm going to get out it's of those individuals, it's going to be huge, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? And look, and the day comes and they actually are prepped and they can take that position. If it's not going to be at my dealership, I'm going to find them a dealership to go yes, work at. Yes, absolutely. You know, like. Yes, yes. And that's, you are so spot on. And I think that's where there's a lot of opportunity for general managers in general or dealer principals even to say, you know, Hey, Mr. Service manager, it's in your best interest to do this, uh, you know, to, to groom these guys up because that's going to help hoist you up. And maybe you become sure. a general manager at some point, or we, we move you around a little bit, get experience in other parts of the dealership so that you can get elevated to that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, but don't, don't view it as, Hey, this guy's gunning for your job. View it as, uh, I'm helping somebody to get better, and in return, that's going to help me 
uh, leverage my ability to go higher as well. So I, oh, 100%. Like, yeah. why would I not want to have all my service advisors gunning for my job? Right. I would love to have that, right? I mean, yeah. just think that. Get some fire I, then. Well, yeah. The other thing, too, is also just think about how it, it's a little easier on me, how much pressure it takes off of me, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, if, if you want to be a service manager, you better start acting like one. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. like, you know, it allows me to empower them, all right, so that they can learn through experience what yeah. it's actually going to require to actually do that. And it's no different. I got a technician that wants to be the foreman. That's cool. Right. Right. What Do you see what that guy does? Yeah. Do you see how much he how much he assists everyone? How he put his wrenches down to go help anybody in need? Do you see how they just lays down his profitability? Like this is what I'm talking about. Like is that yeah. the place you really want to be? <laughs> yeah. So that that may lead me like I have a question for you in that regard. How, what, how do you view mentorship programs like in a dealership? I think it's a requirement. Like I honestly, I honestly think it's a requirement. But the only way you can do it successfully is if everybody does have a personal and professional development plan in place. I agree. The, if if not, because like I'm thinking, like when I first started in the industry, I was a part of a mentorship. <laughs> <laughs> Let's face it for 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 about a month, I was someone's. That's what it was. Like, I mean, I just yeah. literally whatever the hell this person wanted. <laughs> I'm going to right, do it. <laughs> snap, that's like snap their fingers. I'm like, okay, what do you need? What do you need? Okay, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'll run across the lot. I'll go get this. I'll go get this. I'll call this person. You know, it wasn't necessarily mentorship, right? Well, and that's the, it's funny that you lead it that direction because the story that I've got in regard to a mentorship program is one, I completely agree with you. A mentorship program should be a requirement just to even make a, per, a new person feel welcome when they come yes. in, right? Like that's that's a big deal. I, I have a funny story of going into a dealership and uh, when I was back on the equipment days, like I went into a dealership uh, and they said they had a mentorship program and I said, oh, that's great. You know, this is good. Who's the mentor for, you know, Larry out there? And they said, well, Jim is. Mm -hmm. And so I go out to Jim and I said, hey, you know, how's this going? You know, how do you like doing the mentorship? One, Jim wasn't the most personable guy in the world, so it was a little bit, and he was one of those guys that looked at, you know, that younger guy that's trying to tell him, tell him what to do. Uh, and he said, what mentorship program? <laughs> and he didn't even know he was supposed to. He's like, oh, yeah, they mentioned it to me in passing once that I was his mentor. I just thought it was more like he, he – uh, he followed me around and was that bitch, right? Like he was just, he was going and doing all the, the bad work. And it really rung, it, it, it kind of, uh, it kind of rung a bell for me in terms of, uh, or brought my attention to uh, the fact that there needs to be some training for the mentor as well. Yes. Right. So there needs to be some and training a, has to happen from the top down, man. Absolutely. Like I'm absolutely. getting so sick and tired of watching people come in and try to train from the bottom up. And I'm just like, Oh, God, that's a, yeah. that's going to look like that's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> it's not. You know? And it's like, no, and then they come back every single two weeks and they're surprised that they're retraining on the same. It's exactly. Just like, and that the similar <laughs> thing that you said for service managers, right, is, is we're putting a mentor in a position that they've got no training on, that they've got no instruction really on what they're supposed to do. Or even if it's, you know, there, there's some level of training this person or assisting them when they have a question on something, uh, how is that laid out? And then are they incentivized for doing that? Because I yes. think a lot of times you'll see, uh, and I think dealerships have gotten a lot better at this, right? Like I, I don't want to downplay. No, no, no. I think there's a percentage. I think there's a percentage of dealerships out there that have gotten a lot better at it. And, yeah. 
And, um, and and I think what it is is that the culture at some point in time or a, 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 perce- a perceive or a perception of what the culture should be started somewhere. That fire kind of slowly grew throughout the entire dealership and eventually somehow affected the service and parts side. Yeah. Um, but, you know, when I, when I think of service managers, emphasis on manager, yeah. right? I, like, think of where most service managers come from. Yeah. All right. They, they, they were maybe a technician, maybe not. Okay. Yeah. Um, they, they became more normally. They, they started through the path of service advisor, sure. then kind of worked their way to a service a senior advisor, right? And then and then they eventually became a service manager. At no point in time did anybody train them actually how to manage anything. <laughs> it's, You're so right. It's just I'm just like like it's in their freaking title, like. <laughs> Like, you might want to put some training towards them. Like, yeah, I, yeah. Right? Like, I mean, I, how many service managers, and, and, I, and I love working with service managers because I have such a passion for the department. I mean, yeah. just simply, I mean, also from a profitability perspective, it's like, come on. It's like, you know, yeah, I want to spend more time back there and I want to spend time in the front. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the dollars may be up there, but hey, no, profitability is back here. Yes. Um, but like spending time with that with that manager and, and understanding that, you know, the, to stop micromanaging people and efforts and manage the process and let the processes manage the people yeah, you know, is, is a fundamental mind, just a, a, a mind shift in most of these people. They just like, what, what did you just say? <laughs> well, well, I mean, manage their efforts. Like, no, I want you to manage the process, let the process manage their efforts. And you're spot on. And the, the, I think you look at it and it was probably, they look at how they were managed, which was probably by a manager that had no training in the first place. And yep. so they learned their That's management right. style from, from who came from before that. Exactly. And and uh, you can't fault them for that because there was just no proactive training on it. And, and no. Again, I think we're, we're moving in the right direction. I think we're getting better, but there is a mm-hmm. lot of room for improvement there too. So um, it, it uh, and for any service manager that's listening, it might be looking for ways. And, and we talk with a lot of them that say, you know, well, my my dealership just does not care about this, and they, you know, they 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 just treat me like a number. Take the initiative on your own and start reading. And and the funny part, it, I hate to preach this because it sound it would have been nauseating when I was my younger self, but it it truly is. What what had the greatest impact on my life was that guy back at that semi trailer dealership that said, hey you need to start reading uh, about business, right? And you need mm-hmm. to start le- reading about leadership and and different things. And I remember the first time I went into a Barnes & Noble, I was probably like 18, which isn't saying much about me. Uh, but, <laughs> but I went in and I'm like, you go in almost thinking that there's going to be a bunch of fictional books and then uh, like school books, right? Like in... And I went in and there was books about cars and racing and I grew up racing. So I, I, I love that. And then it just kind of hooked me in that I got into that customer service role and I was like, mm-hmm. hey, you know what? I can improve my skills outside of any training that anybody else is going to give me. And I actually listened to a speaker once uh, by the name of John Spence. I don't know if you're familiar with John Spence, but uh, he's a he's a sounds familiar, but I'm so bad with names. I'm bad with better. Oh, yeah, hey, I may say here, but he he is an author of a book called Awesomely Simple. And okay, now a, I do know that book. Yes, yeah, he's he's brilliant. Uh, but I heard him speak, and one of the things that really hit me was that he said uh, he, he was talking about the importance of reading and proactive mm-hmm. self-development. And one of the pieces that he mentioned was that if you wanted to be better than anybody else, 
he said he, he put out a stat and he said I think it was 99.5% uh, 99.5% of college graduates don't read consistently after after college. Wow. And so he said it doesn't surprise me though. No, it doesn't, right? Because it, it makes sense. I'm actually shocked by that, yeah. So if you want to put yourself ahead of 99% of people, he said read one book per month. And I've I've and and you will put yourself above 99% of people. And I, I always kind of took that to heart. And while I don't hit it every month, I really, really, that's my goal is to read one book per month. And, and I truly think that it's had a, it's had a huge impact on my life, but then it's also to understand, take notes on that book because what you're reading might not apply to you today, but it could apply to you, uh, you know, 10 years down the road and you don't even know it yet. So yep. uh, it, it really is uh there's some level of take some initiative. If you're a service manager, parts manager, general manager, whatever you are, a technician, take it upon yourself to develop those soft skills to to really be be intentional about it. And there's a lot of well, and there's that, a lot of good. That's out of that. the key is intentional. You yeah. have to be intentional. You know, it, look, it's not just going to organically happen. You're going to love this. I have a dealership. I started working with a few years back. And um, in the dealer principle, we had this kind of love-hate relationship with each other. <laughs> I've been there. <laughs> um, you know, and, in, you know, I remember we were in there a couple years back talking about personal development. And, you know, just bottom line at the end of the day, he did not want to invest the time into, you know, personally developing and professionally developing on his team. Sure. I said, fine, are you willing to invest the money? He, and of course, at this point in time, he's just fine. And many times I talk, he's <laughs> fine, Jason, I'll give the money, you know? So, so, so for, for his entire management team, I allocated a $2,000 annual budget, all right, for personal and professional development. Love it, that. And, and, and I worked with each team member and how they would do it. And I, some people go to a Tony Robbins, you know, thing. And I had yeah. some people that used it to download and pay for audiobooks, And I had some people that signed up for some other local courses and stuff like that. But I pushed each team member to utilize, to utilize that budget throughout the year. At the end of 12 months, he came back to me. And I remember he actually unwillingly, really gr like grudgingly wanted to admit it. Um, but he's like, you know, that was probably like the best money I spent this entire year. Like yes. what, what, it, what it did for my team. And, and I said, look, yeah, look, and he, you know, and he's like, and so then of course the next year it was like, we just had to go even farther. And it, it went from now wanting to invest time and money. So then it really just kind of, you know, just, just uh, waterfalled over that, you know, just became a much bigger, bigger thing. But, but it has to come from the top down. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, we need our, we, we need to get our service managers and our parse managers and, we need to understand, really emphasize on the management. What the hell does that actually mean to manage? Right. I mean, what are they managing? Like, you know, if you ask most service managers, most parts managers, they think they're managing people. It's really what they think they do. Yeah. And then how many times have I exited a technician to find out that the reason that they're leaving is because they feel like they're being micromanaged? <laughs> <laughs> Holy crap! <laughs> uh, you're right. You're, I mean, you're... Even the, the exit interviews, right? Like it, it, there's so much value in those too, and understanding, um, understanding, and, and digging deeper. Because the one funny thing that I always found in exit interviews is that they would say whatever they could to get out of that as fast as they possibly could, right? Well, of course. They, they, yeah, the management was fine. It was just a better opportunity, but 
if there's some way to ask some open-ended questions to try and get them talking and get them comfortable with being able to say, if you're if you're a general manager, of course you don't want to undermine your service manager, right? Like you yeah. you don't want to just completely throw them under the bus because it could again could just be a personality conflict. But but really <laughs> trying to um, trying to get the good stuff out of it because and and not. There's so much opportunity in it. There's tons. Oh gosh, so yes. that's actually why for a lot of my dealerships, um, I, I, I don't charge for their service. Maybe I probably should. Um, <laughs> but um, if, if they're a good client of mine, um, then then I will actually offer from a consultant's perspective right, to yep. come in and exit the individual for them. Um, now, now, they've already done their portion of the exit. I come in to do just the final interview portion of it. Nice. But you'd be amazed because I'm not a, I'm not an employee of the dealership. Yep. Oh, boy. Oh, I get, I get, you, you, to your point, you think normally they just want to give you a quick answer so they can get out of it. Mm-mm, I come in. Uh, I'm 45 minutes into it and I'm still getting straight. <laughs> you know, it's like, holy yeah, It's funny when two hours later person comes in. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, well, but, but it's cool for me because then I get to consume it from a consultant's perspective, right? And then take that back to operations. All right. There's, we have to embrace our losses. Yes. It, it's okay to lose. It's just yeah. totally okay to lose. Yeah. Right? But it's, it's what we do with that loss. All right. It's the education and the time that we take to dissect it that's really the most important part. Oh, you know, sure. Instead, we just say, "Oh, well, the person did it was a bad person. It yeah. was, that was a bad. It was a you know, like was it? Were they really? Like, right. Were they? Right. You know. And, and how many how many times do you see somebody that starts off really good and then fades fast? And they're like, "Well, I don't know what the hell happened." Well, there <laughs> there's a lot that happened there. And if you're not if you're not boots on the ground per se, like it, you can miss that really really Huge. easily. Yeah. Yeah, Huge. yeah, yeah. Let, no, that's interesting. So that's just so cool. We talked about culture. We talked about managing what it actually means. We're managing processes, people, not people. Okay, let the process manage those people. Yeah. Um, you know, the last thing I'll say about that process that means you have to document it. You have to have measurable efforts against against that. Now, the one thing I love about the fix ops side of the business is that we measure everything. Yeah. I mean, everything is about time. Everything's about it. So it's like we actually do. We do a pretty really good job. Maybe in the upfront of the dealership, we don't do a good job. All right, but we do. We measure everything. Now, now, now. Again, we'll, we'll, we we dabbled a little bit on culture today, guys. You know, but I still think that you know the, the culture is that byproduct of defining of how you want to be perceived by your staff, how you want your clients to perceive you. All right, and move in that direction collectively. That's kind of how culture will ultimately get uh, created. Now, let's talk about like you know if we want to um, uh, really attract what that next generation is you know look the next generation of technicians next generation of advisors it's not necessarily money what they're looking for right flexibility right they're looking for a lot of different things yeah and you know i don't think as an industry as a whole quite yet there's some dealerships that have but as a whole quite yet we really haven't quite addressed you know what that is and what that looks like and it's just going to continue to get Harder, I think. Even though I think it's always been harder to find good talent. Yeah. For this, so when someone says that to you, what, what do you say? So, one, I, I still think the number one question we get when we approach a technician about a job is money, right? But it's it's more sure. of a gate. It's more of a gatekeeper. Like, okay, I can take care of my car payment. And I can take care yeah. of my my mortgage if I need. You know, whatever you've got. That's just the expectation. Yeah, that's the expectation yeah. that opens just, the door to the other things, right? Yeah. And so now, how am I going to exceed the expectation? Right, and and that's where, 
<laughs> this is a really loaded question because that's where you start to get into some of those other flexibility things and you start to get into some of that having a vision for their future and having uh, you know the training that goes along with it. I think you're going to start to see a shift to where uh, dealerships might supply tools more often. Uh, I think there's a oh, lot. Dude, of I could do a whole podcast <laughs> on that whole shit. <laughs> literally, that industry is like bankrupting some of our some of our best technicians. They are. Like, you got guys out there. I mean, I, I think people are watching, and listening to this that that aren't that don't know necessarily what we're talking about. But yeah. guys, look, a, a good just box, a good toolbox, could be the equivalent of a Honda Civic. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. not kidding. Yeah, and 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 you know there are these companies out there that will finance these things, and then you got your tools. And they, like there are guys out there that can be fifteen, twenty, twenty-five, thirty, thirty-five thousand dollars before they even start working on a car. Yeah, and you know we offer these companies out there often ridiculously long-term financing with overly done-out interest rates. Oh, yeah. and just, it's putting these people in a hole. Like, sorry, I'll digress because I could do a whole podcast on that. No, I, I could too. I'm super passionate about it. But like the 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 one thing that I always kind of laugh at is we really complain about not enough people entering this you know this industry anymore in terms of uh, technicians. It's bloody expensive. Well, not only that, they're typically paid toward the bottom end of this uh, of the of the uh, you know the ladder in terms of salaries in a dealership. Yep. Their investment is by far the highest to get into the business, and it is it's it, put yourself in their shoes, right? Like why why doesn't a salesperson have to buy their own laptop then, or why doesn't you know like there's there's so no many no no that's totally true actually I yeah. I was in a lunch room the other day at the dealership and just in between meetings and and I watched I watched these these salespeople they're complaining so here in Canada we have this well, where we are in Ontario we have yeah. this thing called OMVIC. So we actually have to pay for license to actually for the right to sell cars. Okay. Don't get me started. I can do a podcast. <laughs> um, that was an awkward thing when I came when I moved to Canada. I was like, I'm sorry. You want me to take a test? I need a card, like a membership card to sell yeah. cars. I'm like, I, I've been doing this for a while. Are you sure? Like, anyway, <laughs> what do you do? So, this, so the salesperson was complaining that he had to like renew his for like 250 bucks or something like that. And one of the technicians at the next table just started kind of giggling a little bit. <laughs> I'm just like, and I knew why he was laughing because he's uh -huh. like, Are you kidding me? You're complaining about a $250 membership fee? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's nuts though. And I, you know, I go back to what what I invested in my tools, even as a failed technician in my early days, and, and I look at it and I'm like, oh my goodness, like there's how much was so it back much. then? How I'm curious. Like, what did you what did you have in it? So I bought. My dad would not let me buy a nice box, so I bought a used Craftsman box, uh, it, and it was fairly a decent size, right? It was a roller that was mm -hmm. uh, I don't know a decent size, but nothing expensive whatsoever, and and wanted me to make sure I had tools, right? So then you're as a young tech, sometimes you do stupid stuff like buy, you know, a ninety dollar <laughs> uh, screwdriver set or do like you know stuff like That's where. What yeah, well, you get uh, yeah, yeah, that Mac, that Mac tool truck pulls up, and you're like, oh, oh shit, that is shabby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's like uh, Christmas just rolls up to your shop every uh, every week, and it uh, is. You got to pay for it. The tool companies do a really good job of marketing that. That's their job. Yes, they do. Uh, <laughs> but, but you know, I, I, as far as a dollar amount of what I had invested, uh, gosh, I don't know. Probably anywhere from. 
six to eight thousand dollars to start. And that was some time ago. What do you? I don't. I, I don't even know the stat. Yeah. What do you think the average technician now today is in oh it? Oh my gosh. So, I, I'm a little too familiar with this now because I last week now this was an independent shop in northern Wisconsin. Okay. But it, it burned to the ground, right? And so I went and uh, the local Snap-on dealer, who's a friend of mine, called me and said, hey, would you mind coming up and talking to these guys, maybe helping them get their resumes up to date and all that fun stuff, mm -hmm. just seeing what we could offer for support. So I drove up, it's about a three hour drive, drove up, we uh, put a, uh, I don't know, we put together a meeting in a holiday and conference room and we sat there and I sat there with seven techs who just lost all of their toolboxes and the shop didn't have great insurance on them. Ugh. So they're, they're talking, they lost, you know, some of these techs lost upward of fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 worth of tools. Jeez. And they had, uh, I think they each got $1,000 worth of insurance back. Ugh. So you, you, of those, the ones that were the most concerning were that there was three younger techs. And when I say younger, they were probably 23, 24 years old, really good techs. Mm -hmm. And they just, you know, one of them had still, you know, eight or nine thousand dollars that they owed to Snap on yet. Yeah, and that's gone. Uh, and so, it one of the the first questions that the Snap on guy that I was with asked the group. He said, first off, how many of you want to remain technicians? Uh, because you just <laughs> lost your your ability to work on stuff, right? Yeah, and. Um, and to their credit, they all still wanted to do it. They all still wanted to be in the business. But I mean, it, it just even that they've got to have insurance. Like they, the expectation is that the technician carries insurance on those tools. So they didn't even think to ask the question that they wouldn't be covered on under the shop's policy. Yep, they weren't. And uh, and they they're going through a tough time right now because of it. So in talking about benefits. That's one thing that I would highly encourage dealerships to do is look into tool insurance for their guys because I think, honestly, it's the right thing to do. You know, and it's not crazy. Like, yeah, I've seen, I, 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 I talked to someone a, a couple months back about it and, and the prices that he kind of threw out me, I was like, that's not, you know what, that's reasonable. Oh, I, didn't, for, I didn't think it was crazy. For what they bring to the table. And mm -hmm. and if, if you're sitting down in an interview and, and let's face it, technicians have leverage over dealerships right now, right? Like there's, there's truly... There's not enough of those guys to go around right now. Well, so. you know what? I find we should talk a little bit about why that's the case. Yeah. And and, and you were kind of we we talked a little bit about culture before. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest reasons why technicians have something over to the dealerships right now. Yeah. Is because there's there's a total lack of culture. Like there's yeah. it's just like there there's no like if if a dealership and I have actually seen this I got two I can think off the top of my head. I, I wish I could give you a bigger number, but that's about two I can only think of. Yeah. But I mean, they actually have a list of technicians that want to come work at this place. And word gets out, like, you know, that the technicians there are happy. They're excited. They're energetic. You know, it's just a great team environment, you know, and word got out. And it's to the point now where like, you know, <laughs> this dealership is kind of, over indebted and trying to maybe kind of push some of these people onto some of the other dealerships in the area. Absolutely. And, you know, so th there are ways, there's a reason ways for to that, get to right? that point. Yes. There, there's a reason for that because they were intentional about it. And they, you know, mm -hmm. I always, I had a, a consultant tell me once that everything's just a math problem when it comes down to it. Like, it, and yeah. I said, so if I'm a dealership right now, I do a math problem in terms of, I, I pencil out, what would it take me to be above average in pay 
for everything, right? Like, and and it's it's easy to look at like a 2008 and say, oh my gosh, if we ever get back into that again, and we we have high overhead, like what are we going to do? But I I think there's a true opportunity there for dealerships that if they really put a pen to paper and they look at it and they say, okay, we're going to pay above average. Uh, this is mm-hmm. what the additional costs that we're going to have by doing that. Um, and then, you know, some of the other benefits uh, such as flexibility or a different schedule or, or tool insurance, right? Mm-hmm. If you looked at that and then looked at if, if you were able to increase, like uh, I shouldn't say increase, decrease your, uh, your level of attrition, right? So the amount of people that are leaving your dealership yep, and that in turn, caused you to spend less money on recruiters like my company or, or just in general, like ads on indeed are not cheap uh, ads on any major job board are not cheap. Uh, if you, if you turn your dealership into that person that's having to, ter- to push techs away, guess what? You, you kind of turn the tables in terms of who you can bring in. You don't end up desperate for people. You can hire based on mm-hmm. culture and have people fit. Well, and it, it, yeah, I think it's the, a great, the smart great way of doing hunter, business. I'm not a hunter by any means, right? Yeah. But um, <laughs> um, but some of my family members are, and yeah. um, you know, uh, I have one uh, cousin who's an amazing bow hunter, yeah. and um, that real champion level type stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. The smartest hunters out there don't chase game; they get the game to come to them. Yeah. And and I'm always kind of you know that this is, it's always made sense for me from a business perspective, right? Like, and I find and it, it, I actually see a, 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 a kind of a trait there or a consistent pattern, right? right? With with really well done organizations and businesses, yeah, they don't have to go pursue, right. all right? The, the games come into them, yeah, you know. So it's like it, it's just how much time is is wasted in acquisition. Yeah. When it's like we can focus more of our efforts on retention to the point where our retention is so good people want to come. Bingo, bingo, bingo. And and for those dealerships that have HR managers, right, or have, mm-hmm. have a human resources department, I think we too often get stuck in the um, – we get stuck in the checking the box – to go on to the next thing, right? And like, yeah. it, it's a, it's kind of, it stems from like a corporate environment and I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this, but what if part of that HR role is to make our dealership a more desirable place to work in general, right? And and sure. that's that's an objective where it's a big long-term objective, uh, but if, and then the other piece, and I, this is something I preach constantly, is that I talk to dealerships and, and they'll say, well, we, you know, we have the best management around and we have all this blah, 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 blah. And I, I always laugh because I'm like, it's normally the manager saying that, like it's normally the manager <laughs> saying they have the best management around. So yeah, that's true. <laughs> our industry has a really tough time at looking at looking in the mirror and understanding maybe what our weaknesses are and trying to improve them. Uh, and so I, you know, there's probably a lot of people that won't like that. I say that either. Uh, but it, it's something I have to take as a business owner myself and say, you know, are we offering, are we offering the best of what we can to our people? And mm-hmm. and one thing, you know, going back to the caring about the people, and this isn't just technicians, this is in general, and this is what I do with my staff here, and I think it works really, really well. Is is uh, I've been in jobs before where I was terrified to say I had, I had plans other than where I was working, right? Like I, I had objectives yeah. to go higher 
And uh, I was terrified that if I would have said something to management that I would have got fired on the spot, right? And that yeah. includes some pretty high roles. And, and so what I encourage in, in my business, which is not a shop, is that, hey, if you have aspirations that are different than what they are here at Finder Wrench, tell me, because I'll help you get there. And, we'll, and I've got uh, uh, a young lady that works for me that is in sales and she's a rock star. She's really, really good. And uh, she is going to school. She, she graduated from UW-Madison in three years, mm-hmm. just incredibly wow. bright. And, and she has aspirations to be a, a professor at some point of business. And I said, there's not a better way to learn business than what you're doing right now, which is cold calling and, and starting to grow your business. And uh, think about how you'll be able to teach some of these people someday. Mm-hmm. And, and so uh, you'll be able to teach from experience rather than a book, which is, is really, really helpful in those scenarios. So, uh, but just showing that, that you care about them enough to want them to do better and want them to be bigger than what they currently are, uh, I think goes a long way. It does, and you know what? It, it it promotes what we kind of started off in the beginning talking about, you know, culture. Um, you know what? I think we've we brought some serious knowledge today, <laughs> and and honestly, I think we touched on two or three topics, which I think we could literally go off and do a whole nother <laughs> podcast on. Yeah. Um, but I know that's our time for today. Yeah. Uh, Jay, for, uh, thank you so much, man, for taking thank the you to jam with me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I love this. This is this was. Uh, I learned a lot during this podcast too. I, I could listen to you all day too. So it, it really is, uh, it, it's it's cool to get passionate people together, you know, that are passionate about this business. And I think passionate about getting, getting, you know, maybe I learned something along the lines that uh, along the way that I can kind of spread to other people and, and um, and hopefully that's the case today. I, I, I really enjoy well, this. And that's what we're doing. I mean, look, it's, it, look, if, if one person, Right, gets yeah. some little value from this and turns it into an actionable, executionable effort. All right, yeah. and makes a difference. It's worth every single thing. Absolutely. It's worth all the time we put into it. Hey, um, for everybody who's listening and watching and would love to connect with you, Jay, and learn more about your company and more about you and more about what you guys are doing, what yeah. is the best way to do so? Of course, you can start off at finderwrench.com. Uh, we've got some cool tools out there that you're more than welcome to check out, including a free jo- the ability to post jobs for free, right? So if you just want to get transparency to your jobs, there's a really good opportunity to that. It also explains some of our other services. We have a subscription-based service and a traditional headhunting service. Um, but then uh, for me personally, uh, follow me on LinkedIn or connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, it, it's amazing how powerful that's become as a tool uh, yeah. to interact with others in our industry, again, that are passionate about the business. Um, but th- those are probably the two primary ones, and and uh, you can call in, and we've got the number posted on the website. Feel free to call in. I'm, I'm an open book, so I'll, I'll talk to anybody at any time, anytime I can. So, uh, uh, But, yeah, I, I think those are the two, uh, two easiest ways to get in touch with us. Awesome. Hey, Jay, thank you again so much for your time today. This was an absolute blast. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Have yourself a good one. You too. We covered a bunch of great topics today. What stood out most to you? Be sure to let us know in the comment section below. And don't forget to like the post and share it to keep the conversation going. You can follow Jason on all social media platforms by following Strategy with Jason. You can find him pretty well everywhere you can share content. I hope we were able to get you thinking. And until the next time, have a great day.